everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontiac. Today in the house from DDI, Stephanie Neal. Stephanie leads and is director of DDI Center for Analytics and Behavioral Research, known as CABER, where she manages strategic market research and trend studies on leadership and talent. She works with clients across industries to design and execute analytics initiatives that demonstrate the impact of assessment and development. Stephanie is an author of several industry-leading research reports, including DDI's, yeah, Global Leadership Forecast, which we're going to get into some in-depth analysis today. It's the world's largest leadership trend research study, and that's what we're really into for today's episode of Leadership Now. But what's DDI, first of all? Founded in 1970, DDI is a leadership consulting firm that offers leadership assessments, consulting courses, development, management services, workshops, and way more. The 2023 Global Leadership Forecast spans over 50 countries and 24 industry sectors, and the study examined responses from, get this, 1,827 human resource professionals and 13,695 leaders from over 1,500 organizations. Stephanie, thanks for joining me today. we got a lot to get into. The first, however, in this uh, largest and longest-running global study, on the current sorry, and future state of leadership, you found that this year's study uh, discovered 40% of leaders reported their company to have high-quality leaders, so only 40%, which is actually a 17% drop from just two years ago. And it's the biggest decline in a decade, putting essentially current leadership quality ratings nearly on par back to 2007, 2008, when we were... Dancing off the fiscal cliff. Well, Stephanie, what the heck is going on? This is terrible news. Yeah, it really is. And first, thanks, Dan, for having me here to talk about this data. And I, I'm glad you're starting um, with that really kind of startling drop that we've seen in leader confidence. I think there's a number of things really going on here. But one thing that's been really consistent over the more than 20 years that we've been doing this research is that really we never see a majority of leaders feel that their organization has quality leadership. Anyway, so that's, you know, kind of the big problem to start. We saw a really nice uptick, to be honest, over the last several years leading up to the pandemic, where it was kind of the biggest increase, which was really, I think, leaders building on, you know, the confidence that they were building with their people, knowing they're focusing on important things to them, focusing mm -hmm. on their well-being. And I think what we're seeing in this really big decline right now is we're facing some tough times. We're facing, you know, a time of slowing growth and probably leaders are, are really starting to question how their companies are going to succeed through these coming challenges. So I think it's, you know, kind of a, a hit to confidence in a lot of ways. And I'm sure, you know, you're seeing that in other things that you're looking at, other pieces you're looking at too. But, you know, for us, one of the biggest factors driving this is really an erosion of trust in business leaders and just not really feeling confident that they're going to do the right things going forward. And obviously, that that varies a lot by industry, but but we're seeing this as a you know just common thread. Well, that's a wonderful segue because I did want to dig deep into the the whole element of trust. Many authors, researchers, thinkers like me, like yourself, have gone on about the fact that trust is really one of, if not the single most important has, aspect, sorry, of a healthy organizational culture stemming from trust uh, of the organization, of leaders between leaders and team members, etc. Uh, indeed, in, in the book that I've got coming out this year called Work-Life Bloom, trust is the first factor 
of several work-life factors that has to be in place. You, DDI, and yourself cite that there's a humongous lack of trust that exists in leadership. So the data that I'm uh, reading is that Mm -hmm. only 46% of leaders uh, report that they fully trust their direct manager to do what's right. And But what's even more troubling, of course, is that fewer than one in three leaders trust the senior leaders, like those in the C-suite within the organization. So again, I mean, right, put you on the spot here. What the fill in the blank is going on with trust in our organizations? Yeah, we were really shocked to see this, to be honest, this year from leaders. And I think, you know, to your point, it's so important for leaders to build trust to, of course, not only keep, you know, the people that they they need to have, the talent they're going to have in place. It's so important for retention, but it's also so important for them to continue to build their brand and draw in new talent. So I think seeing that leaders don't trust senior leaders, especially shows that there's this huge opportunity um, for, for senior leaders, especially in executives to start to focus on what do we need to be doing to build trust? How do we make sure that we are really aligning our mission and what we're driving forward as an organization with what our employees value as well? Because I think that's a big part of just the cultural aspect of, mm-hmm. of why people are going to trust their senior leaders. But we we definitely see this drop off um, at the senior level and building trust just needs to start there if they want people to bring their best work, if they want people to stay. And of course, for direct managers um, to really make sure they're focusing on having these conversations to build trust, which, you know, this could be partially because we've seen a shift in how people are working and how people are connecting that they may not be getting as many of those opportunities. So each moment that they have um, to build trust with their employees has become more precious, to be honest. You, you mean all those spy cameras and people's <laughs> laptops and watching them, whether their yeah. mouse strokes are, are moving or not, aren't aren't having an effect on the trust between uh, team member and leader stuff? What? Come on. I know. Oh, I know. So many things that people are worried about, right? In a different way than they used to be, especially if they are working remotely. That just shows why, you know, leaders really need to get back to that just foundation of building that relationship, building trust. And of course, letting people know that, you know, even if we're going to have some productivity paranoia, if we're going to be worried that we're getting the things we need to get done, we trust you to do that work. And we're going to provide, you know, of course, people with what they really need to do that well. Um, and interpersonal skills, it always, as I hate to say, it always comes back to some really foundational leadership skills that we see um, leaders maybe not taking as much time with as they used to. So I feel like that's that's a, a big opportunity for leaders to start to build trust. So we, we outlined seven behaviors in the report that help to build trust. And really starting there is, you know, the essential place to to build good relationships and, of course, earn back that trust. Well, it goes back to something I've been pontificating and yelling, screaming from the hilltops for years. And that is soft skills are hard skills, but they're necessary skills. Like you can't live a life of leadership without them. Anyway, I digress. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a sister, a twin, a cousin, what have you to trust. And DDI has rightly pointed out vulnerability as it being its twin sister, cousin, what have you. And the, the point that you raise in the research is that, um, you know, vulnerability when your findings suggest that employees are, I think it's 5.3 times more likely to trust a leader who displays vulnerability and leaders who genuinely acknowledge their failures or shortcomings, mistakes, if you will, are seven and a half times more likely to maintain trust than those who do not do so. So if vulnerability isn't understood by the leader, and that thus relationship with trust. Tell me a bit about 
what your what your research is showing why they should be actually being more more, more vulnerable. Sorry. Yeah, and I really think this, you know, is probably we're partially seeing kind of a shift in what people want from their leaders to some extent too. They want to see mm-hmm. that people are human. Uh, they want to see that their leaders are real, so they, you know, can trust them. They can feel like they can build that um, real relationship with them. So seeing that, you know, leaders who are more vulnerable are more likely to be trusted by their employees by that extent five times um, really helped us to realize that that's an important factor that often doesn't get recognized by leaders. And of course, as we think about leaders moving up in an organization, they may feel less likely to want to be vulnerable or admit mistakes and failures, but we've seen great examples of those leaders that do, um, even through the pandemic, when they had to admit, you know, tough times, things were figuring out things we don't know. I feel like some of those cultures really had the biggest boost um, and and honestly are probably doing better right now, retaining the talent that they need to. Well, and I think your data really points out the, the issue, and that is if the leader is genuinely being more vulnerable, relatable, open, you know, not wearing the quote and proverbial Teflon suit, you know, quote, into the office or on a Zoom or Teams call or what have you, they're just like the trust oozes out of the cup, if you will, it, it runneth over. So it kind of, it, it amuses me where Great leaders, question. first of all, aren't going to read the data, but then secondly, they're not actually doing it and suggesting uh, that there isn't a correlation as if the tougher you are, the less relatable you are to your team members, as if that's going to build trust. Like it seems bonkers half-ass right. backwards to me. Yeah. And I think it really connects you to just even how leaders are connecting with the people they work with. Right. Because I could see where maybe we wouldn't be surprised that senior leaders have a harder time building trust. Right. They don't have that one on one connection. But to see that even leaders weren't, you know, trusting their direct managers who they probably do have a stronger connection with. I'm really surprised me. I know this has become harder for me as a leader, even, you know, this time working hybrid and working remotely to make sure I'm finding that, you know, unique one-on-one time with my team, make sure we're talking about those real things. And then of course, making sure that they know they, they can take the time that they need when they need to, if they have a sick family member, if they have Mm -hmm. to, to step away for reasons. I feel like all of that helps to build um, that trust that, that maybe other leaders don't feel as comfortable doing and even in an uncomfortable way, even in a time where maybe we're trying to not um, lose that connection, even, you know, over a, over a screen really makes a difference. So hopefully well, you're I mean, capitalize more I, on those I, opportunities. I'm, uh, I'm book dropping here, but one of the other books I wrote is called lead care win, how to become a leader who matters. Like, and quite literally it's in the title lead by caring and you'll win over the hearts and minds of your people and performance, et cetera. Like it's just, I'm now I'm angry, Steph. This is not, this is not (laughs) cool. Okay. But that's so clear. You're a prophet there then. You (laughs) you know, you put it out there before we needed it, which is, which is about profit. I just think angry curmudgeon that's looking at leaders and wondering why won't you change? Okay. So another crisis that has a runneth over is burnout. And again, DDI is doing some great insights and research here where you've uh, uh, you've figured out and sorted out that signs of burnout have actually increased 60% since essentially the, the dawn of the pandemic or you know, mid-range lockdown. And that 72% of leaders are reporting that they, they often feel used up at the end of the day. And these leaders are deeply concerned, not only about burnout for themselves, but their teams, yet only 15% of them, according to DDI, feel that they can do anything to prevent employee burnout. So it's like, is this irony alert? What's happening here, Steph? 
Yeah. And I think what it is, it just shows like this time has been so challenging for leaders, right? They've been taking on probably more um, than they've realized. And so they're, you know, and obviously this is something that we see. I definitely see it in our teams too, that those that are the highest performing, those that are the highest potential continue to take on more. Um, and, and we need to realize that that's going to eventually lead to some burnout and some really critical, um, you know, turnover, which mm-hmm. we've already seen different, different um, upticks in that too. But I do think what you're calling out is that leaders often do get leaned on more than they need to by companies and don't get the support that they need and the tools that they need. To be honest, we see that that makes a huge difference to burnout Mm -hmm. um, when leaders feel that they have the tools and resources they need. And as companies thin out, we also had a pretty startling statistic, not that I want to keep piling on. Um, only oh, please 12%, do. Please do, so much better. No. <laughs> only 12% of companies say they feel like they have a strong bench. And a big part of that then means you, you're at risk of burnout if you don't have enough people in place to step up, fill these critical roles and really drive you know, the priorities that the organization needs to to be successful. Um, so I think we know. The more that you manage, again, from a caring place and provide the support that leaders need, it's just going to trickle down and leaders will be able to help support their teams. Otherwise, you're not going to end up with caring, you know, trust building leaders if they're burning out all the time. Well, if every organization is made up somewhere between 15 and 20 percent of management or managers or leaders leading people, you know, my irony alert point there, right, of course, is the the buck stops here with the senior leaders, the C-suite, what have you. And if they're not, if there's an attribution error of sorts to their own thinking, like, oh, yeah, everything's fine in the organization, we're good. Yet their most senior leaders, i.e. the directors and VPs, if you will, that are, quote, leading the teams, not the C-suite leading, you know, the next level. I mean, come on, when are they going to wake up and see that there's this, there's a cataclysmic overrun of burnout? And it's stemming from the senior leaders at the top of the chart, not paying attention to the care, the camaraderie, the kindness, the empathy, the nurturing, the wellness, the well-being. Like it's just all related. And your data from DDI is pointing this out in blazing hot lights. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you picking up on all those signals for sure. And and seeing that, and I, and I really do think that there's a loud message here, which is that First off, we've gone through a time where there's been such fast technology change, right? People are able to get so much more done and we're giving less space, especially as people are working remotely, for people to just have time to be people, um, to have those relationships with each other, to again, have the camaraderie um, that helps to balance that all out because people are going to be able to get a lot done. We're going to be able to get more done um, with new technology tools that are coming out even today, you know, things that we're seeing that are competing, chat, GPT, um, that's going to help us to be able to do more. So how can we make sure that people can continue to have that time to be human? I think that's a big message in here. And we do see the leaders that do this best are those that lead with empathy, that lead with, again, having a, a, a big priority of well-being for their teams. And, and I think that we'll continue to see those are the ones that are winning at keeping talent. And of course, succeeding in all measures, the people measures, and of course, the business measures. Yeah, well. I'm, I'm going to book drop on you on again. So I love it. This this book of mine was called The Purpose Effect. And so DDI has yet again aligned with my thinking and highlighted in this particular study that purpose and meaning have a huge impact on one's well-being, productivity, performance, and you know, sense of 
self. And so, but however, your data shows that there's this huge lack of purpose and meaning in, in leaders and leadership work. So your report suggests that fewer than half of mid-level leaders and frontline leaders have a sense of purpose and meaning in their work. Fewer than two-thirds in the C-suite find their jobs fully fulfilled with meaning and purpose. And so, come on, like now you're just, you're raining on my book parade by <laughs> suggesting that now we basically don't have purpose or meaning happening. Stephanie, highlight why this is happening, please, for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can see in the report too, in the research, what you cited, you know, it's highest at the C-suite level, which is where we would hope, you know, there if there's not a clear sense of purpose at the top. Clearly, there's not going to be a sense of purpose and in, in work for anyone below that level. But um, to know that even at the front line, you know, fewer than half of leaders are feeling that they have a strong sense of purpose at work is really, you know, obviously a startling problem that I think mm. companies need to address. But also it's a wake up call for us that in this time, you know, those that don't feel they have that are, are likely to leave. They're going to go find it somewhere else. Um, so many people throughout the pandemic, of course, have made different decisions about how they want to work and how they want to live life. So that totally aligns um, with what these data are saying. But it's, you know, really a cultural imperative um, to make sure that leaders feel purpose in their work. And I think one of the strongest themes that I'm really seeing going forward is that leaders are not necessarily seeing or, or next generation of leaders aren't really necessarily seeing leadership as an awesome opportunity as it used to be, um, especially because you can get paid pretty well yeah. not being a leader. So where I think compensation used to be, you know, the big draw. Now we have to say, what does it mean to be a leader? Why is it worth putting yourself out there and taking on, you know, ultimately a tougher workload, probably tougher hours um, to be more committed to an organization? What is it going to take to be drawn in. So I, I think it's a really um, interesting time for companies to think about what is their leadership purpose and how do we make sure we have senior leaders who are going to model this? Um, but curious, curious your thoughts about that too. Well, hold that thought because you yeah. DDI has done a really good job of aligning a couple of our threads over the past uh, 15 or 20 minutes. And that is uh, vulnerability, trust, purpose, and meaning actually have a correlator to improved Factors. So your data suggests that, um, you know, leaders who trust their senior colleagues are three times more innovative and those who feel a strong sense of purpose are nine times more likely to feel engaged and two and 0.4, sorry, times more likely to stay with the company. So here you are suggesting that trust, vulnerability, purpose, meaning you can become more innovative, more engaged, and your retention levels go through the roof. So uh, it sounds to me like leaders are stuck deer like a head in a headlight syndrome, looking at this thing and knowing that there's a calamity, but they're not getting out of the way of it and doing something about it. So why? What's going on? Yeah, I think often they just don't realize how simple it is to really take the right steps to do these things, right? Just not even not even making it a priority, saying it's the important step. And I do hope, you know, obviously having this research out there and having this data out there will you know, kind of smack some people in the face, help them to see um, <laughs> that it's it's important to do. But to be honest, I think it really does take now those leaders, especially talent leaders at the organization and CEOs saying that this is, this is what we're going to need. We've come through a really challenging time, you know, in the world, but then also in terms of employee retention, if we don't do this, we're never going to have a hope of, of having the talent that we need for the future. And of course, uh, there's a lot of good reasons to do it 
besides that. But of course, to make sure you retain the people you need and then can can be successful going forward. But it's it's a really um, a tough wake up call in a lot of ways, Dan. So I'm glad that you're oh, it's a it's a smack to the melon. I mean, it it's <laughs> it's cantaloupe expressed everywhere. Just bits of cantaloupe all over my face because it's hurting. It's just fruit so everywhere, sorry, Stephanie. OK, <laughs> my uh, my last question for you is almost like burying the lead. But bear with me because I think you'll hopefully share some insights on this. So the proverbial question that we've we've asked CEOs is, you know, what keeps you up at night? What's the CEO uh, up thinking about he or she? You found that in the wake of one of the most dramatic workforce reshufflings ever in our history, that the CEO's top concern for the first time, really, is a focus on talent, which is outranking any economic or business challenges. Yet, Stephanie, the data suggests that most of them are quite terrible at what matters most about developing talent in their people. So there's another irony alert with a really loud yeah, European a vicious cycle uh, here. Yeah. yeah what is again? Help me understand why I'm going crazy yeah. with these data points. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've always seen, thankfully, throughout kind of our top CEO concerns that there's a concern over having the people to lead for the future. But this is the first um, forecast. We've really seen it rise up in all their top concerns from attracting and retaining talent, developing the next generation, and of course, having and maintaining an engaged workforce. Those are the things that now they realize if we don't have this we're not going to be able to execute on these other challenges. So the nice thing is, is of course, it seems like a lot of CEOs are recognizing this and now it's, can they do what they need to, um, to make it happen? But I think it really is this vicious cycle that it took not managing everything necessarily in the right way, not putting all the right priorities in place to build leaders purpose, to make sure people aren't burning out to then see this terrible, you know, retention risk and of course like okay once we start seeing the bad numbers unfortunately that's often what wakes people up so I think just seeing really this heightened turnover over the past year or two and seeing some really you know tough um, situations where they didn't have the people in place that they needed those you know that talent shortage I think was the wake-up call in a lot of ways so now we'll see you know will will leaders do those right things and of course ultimately focus on investing in and developing their people to be able to have what they need moving forward. There's there's a big sigh there for me, Stephanie. I uh, I feel like I need to go to the kitchen and grab a frying pan and go around smacking senior leaders with it right on the top of the head to wake them up. Just from now, there. or or have you yeah, had this uh, one before? No. <laughs> okay, so that's true. It has been about 15 years. So anyway, <laughs> Stephanie Neal, you lead and our director of DDI Center for Analytics and Behavioral Research. Thank you so much for this and the research and the data and the report, Global Leadership Forecast. Tell me where we can find out more about you, DDI, and the report itself. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you, Dan, for highlighting all the, even some of the tough messages, many of the tough messages in this research. But um, we are releasing the report on February 8th. So you can find it on ddiworld.com. Um, there's going to be a great interactive web experience to explore this data more. And there's a lot more um, behind all the things that you called out. So I'm really excited to get it out there to have, you know, hopefully spur some more conversations like this. Hopefully not many more cantaloupe uh, manglings, but, but, but for sure. But to sure to see um, more people recognize that, you know, there's some some concerning signs here and definitely some clear ways to help hedge off, you know, the really negative um, turnover and other metrics that we want to avoid. We want to avoid seeing seeing those, you know, continue to 
justice for for people. So I'm I'm hopeful that we can get some some great action out of this, Dan. And I hope that you see that too. And we can have another conversation where we feel much better about the data in the next GLF too. Would be. <laughs> I definitely, I, I definitely want to talk with you again and not need a bottle of whiskey. That's <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> okay, good. I like it. That'll that'll be mine as well. And we'll make sure you know something a little bit better than that <laughs> the next time. Stephanie Neal from DDI, thank you so much. Director of DDI Center for Analytics and Behavioral Research, DDI company, 50 years plus, doing all the right things, trying to help leaders and organizations become better versions of themselves. Folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. Stephanie, thanks again. Thank you for having me, Dan.